So early this April, I flew to Ho Chi Minh City with making photographer Christopher Lim. We were actually doing some recording for the upcoming Sounds of Saigon project. And this time I'll actually be collaborating with another producer named Dan Huynh, better known as Demon Slayer. So when I met up with Dan in Ho Chi Minh City, he introduced me to his friend Jenny, who is a very accomplished film producer. She has been making films in Vietnam for almost 10 years now. And she was very kind to share her perspectives on Vietnamese film industry, what it's like growing a film scene there, and some of the unique challenges filmmakers face. My name is Jenny Zhang Le. I was born in 1980. I'm not afraid to show my age. <laughs> and uh, I was born and raised in uh, Houston, Texas. And then uh, I moved to San Jose, like Santa Clara area for high school and then to UCLA. And then uh, after UCLA, I just stayed in LA until I moved to Saigon in 2009. In uh, 2005, I did a film called The Rebel, which is uh, in Vietnamese, Yom Awan Hum. It's a 1920s film uh, based in the French colonial era of Vietnam. And uh, it was an action drama. And I was the first assistant director. So um, that was like my first time working in Vietnam. And then I kind of sort of got caught like the bug a bit, you know. And then when I went back to America, I was really lucky that there was a lot of co-productions at the time in film. And so I would go back and forth just uh, working because I was bilingual and I had worked both in Vietnam and the U.S. I would say like every year I would go back once or twice a year. And then in 2009, my old boss, Jimmy, I've been in Jenfeng Films. He offered me a, a one-year contract as a, like an in-house feature film producer. So then I thought, at the time, I'd just broken up with my boyfriend. And, you know, I was like, ah, what the hell? So I tried it for a year. And then after that, um, my contract ran out. And I just decided to stay because I felt like the film industry was growing a lot. Basically, since 2009, I've been working both as a producer and assistant director, and uh, mostly feature films, but also commercials, uh, music videos, documentaries. When you say uh, you felt like there's a lot of changes in the film industry in Vietnam, like, is there any specific things that you felt it, it's pushing a direction, or how do you feel like there's a change there? When I was younger, I didn't know what I would become. I wanted to, I knew I wanted to do something in the arts and specifically I wanted to write actually. And so I, for a moment, I wanted to be a spoken word artist and, and to just focus on that. <laughs> Probably not as lucrative a career, but then um, I sort of kind of fell into film with, you know, having friends that did film. And then um, when in the U.S., maybe I only worked in the film industry two years before I moved to Vietnam. So for me, I feel like I was growing in the film industry as Vietnam was growing. So um, before 75, the film industry in Vietnam was really thriving. But after the war, it, um, you know, fell off for quite a while. And then I would say maybe in the 2000s, it started to kind of pick up a bit. So when I came in 2009, there was maybe four feature films produced a year. And then now, you know, nine years later, there's like over 60 feature films produced um, and distributed, which is crazy because it's not to say that every Vietnamese film is great, but the, just the sheer numbers of it is really astounding. I mean, you know, before when I first came, if a movie, you know, was able to like have a box office of one million dollars, that's sort of like this far fetched dream, you know. And then now it's kind of like it's kind of average if you get a million is sort of like maybe you'll be okay depending on your budget but you're really aiming for like four or five million right from the beginning of the conversation jenny start explaining there's actually a lot of movies being made in vietnam recently there's a huge increase in the productions but more importantly there are movies in different genres are being explored 
I think that before, you know, there was a lot of uh, comedies, kind of like broad comedies that were yeah. mostly films coming out in like kind of January, February. Yeah, during a Lunar New Year. Usually like slapstick comedies with sound effects like... And... Thung, 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 thung. <laughs> yeah. Very, very like Three Stooges. Yeah. You know, ish. Um, mm. And then now there's more and more genres. So they started, you know, opening up to, you know, dramas and art house and thriller. And so it's it's really good to see that. I mean, it's comedies are still the majority, but I think that, that but definitely like there's just more people taking chances. Is it hard to have your own style in, in uh, Vietnamese cinematography? I think it is definitely hard to have your own style just because, you know, sometimes we forget, but, you know, Vietnam is still a communist country. So we still have to do a lot of censorship. Yeah. So everything is censored. If you're a foreigner making a feature film, then you have to submit your script to be censored. And then once you get the approval, then you get the permits to make the film. If you're local, you don't, but you do have to submit it later on once you've edited it and before you can distribute it in Vietnam. So in a way, it's actually better to get it censored during the script stage. It's just costly. So, you know, that's annoying. But, but you know, there's, there's just kind of, you have to find ways around it. Can you... Um talk a little bit about uh, the film that there was this this film called um, Buddha Chalan yeah Buddha Chalan which is very it was like action packed kind of like maybe a little bit mafia gangster related in the story right and then um, and from from the the non-production side like from uh, like the audience everyone was like really hyped for it to come out like because I think I, I'm not sure if there's trailers but Somehow, yeah, there, is, there, yeah is. there was, right? Yeah, somehow everyone was like really excited for it. And then in the end, it, it didn't come out. It got censored, you know? And I think it was like 80% done in post oh, no, or something. no, it was 100% done. 100% yeah, done. It was like wow. a, we lost like $800,000 on oh that project. Oh my God. I know, painful. It looks so dope too. <laughs> so it was so like, dope. so so the, the background is that, um, so Jenfeng Films, it was uh, established, I want to say 2003, I don't remember. But um, basically, uh, you know, the company is very known for the action films. So The Rebel was an action film and like, and then there was Clash, which is the first film that I produced in Vietnam. And then Buda uh, Chalung, or um, I don't remember what we decided the English title, but the, the it literally means like the dust of Chinatown. Like, or Chinatown dust, dust of China. <laughs> it's not so, like that. Doesn't sound as hard. It doesn't sound as gangster. <laughs> it doesn't no. sound as yeah. gangster, but it was. So, yeah. um, so it was. Uh, it was a film directed by Charlie Nguyen, yeah. um, and an action directed by his brother Johnny Jingwen, and also starring him as well. So basically, the premise was one night in Chinatown where all this, you know, like all this shit hits the roof, and it starts off kind of like a love story. Uh, you know, a guy sort of taking the gang leader's girlfriend and then but like wanting you know but then and then creating basically this gang war right it's kind of Troy-esque you know but like in Chinatown like at the middle of the night so basically this shoot was really crazy because I think we shot for like eight weeks and it, because it's all nighttime so basically the crew was like a vampire you know like we, oh, we started at like 3 4 p.m. and then end at 6 a.m. like every day so and harsh really crazy and it was super super violent you know super, and, and like you know yeah, very, just very action-packed. Yeah, it looks yeah. so awesome. And then the thing is, when we were doing the film, um, there was a concern that there were no presence of police in the movie. And then um, our director was like, you know what, I don't have time to like have these cop characters. And so we're like, you know what, you know, we'll figure it out. <laughs> you know, so we just decided to do it with no cops. And basically, of course, once we finished the film and then edited it and then we submitted it to censorship, they were like, uh, how come there's all this fighting happening and no, and the cops never oh, came? Oh, so that was the, the reason yeah. why so oh. the first the first reason and then also it was very violent so the problem was twofold you know
So we decided to, okay, we're going to, we did extra shoots and we actually went as far as making like one of the characters an undercover cop and sort of like adding these scenes of cops and like basically keeping everything, but like, you know. But the thing is that behind the scenes is during that time, our director and our action director, they went online and this is when Facebook started to get like really, really popular in Vietnam. And they put up like the letter from the censorship board of like what we need to change and sort of like kind of a call to action of sort of like, hey, you know, we're so limited by these guidelines. Like if we want to advance you know, cinema in, Vien- in yeah. Vietnam, like we need to have the government more understanding, you know, yeah. like whatever. And I, remember, also, I remember that post. Yeah, yeah. It was a big deal. It was, like, it was crazy viral. And then and then the thing was like, and our argument was also, you know, like, hey, it's actually an anti-gang movie. And so it needs to be violent because it needs to be so crazy that like at the end of the day, people don't want to get join gangs. If, right. if nothing really happens and it's kind of like, okay, well, maybe gangs are not so bad. So that was kind of the argument, you know, we're going for. But the problem is, that once they became public with it because everything's very behind closed doors you know you you lobby for your film you, you try to push the envelope it's not like black and white but it's very much negotiating and different ways of bargaining but in because the letter was put on Facebook and then immediately went viral and then everyone took sides and then the journalists got in on it and all the bloggers and everybody yeah. was like sharing it and forwarding it and writing articles and there was like newspaper and then there was a lot of pressure on the censorship board, which essentially is the government, which essentially is the party. Then it became this thing where it was like, oh my God, like the producer on the producer side, because I was the co-producer of the project. We were like, oh my God, we, this is too much. Like we, we're not going to get our film passed. I knew at that point that I had a feeling that it wasn't going to get passed because, because at that point, it, there was, it was kind of like the point of no return where if our film got passed, then basically it's as if the party was wrong. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Yeah. We had, we, at that point, we had basically became a, mar- a martyr. Yeah. You know, like, so they had to stick to the guns and they, they had to keep like, okay, this film is not getting passed. So even though we got to a point where we actually put in the cop scenes, we cut a lot of the action. We, we made it like, it, it was almost to the point of like, they would start the fight and then cut to everyone's dead. You know, yeah. like, it was like, it was like oh, so, man. yeah, a lot of it was and in, in where it was so like tame compared to like an action film and it was still like no you know when the adults lose face what are you gonna what are you gonna do so that that basically is is it was a big lesson it's like how far do you push you know i think that it's it's hard because coming from america you know it's kind of like when we have an injustice it's like okay let's do you know protests and like let's lobby and let's like strikes and it doesn't work so much here that's not quite the way there's kind of like you got to do a little more finessing yeah you gotta finesse it more yeah it was 100 percent done like literally like ready to go Wow. At this point, I learned that it's very common for a release date to be pushed back. But when a film gets straight up canceled, it's devastating, obviously. But to add insult to the injury, their film end up getting released, but just not in the form that Jenny and her crew wanted that film to be presented. Someone leaked an unfinished version of the film, uncolored. The the you know the wire removal wasn't all done. Like it was it was it was picture lock, but it was like you know not the sound wasn't done, and so a lot of people watched it. So it was kind of became sort of like oh well that's crap, and we definitely didn't want to do that. I mean if people were like oh you guys leaked it, I was like no dude, if we leaked it we would have leaked like the the full the, version. Yeah yeah if the we perfect decided, version. Yeah, you know like right. it's like it was like really annoying to watch. I actually didn't even watch that version because I didn't want to see that. Yeah. Know, like, you didn't want to get it, you didn't want to get frustrated. Yeah, yeah, and then um, so it's still there, but like there was been talk of like okay, it's been a while now. I think it's been like six years, maybe or 
five years? I don't know. Probably remember. like five. Maybe five years. So there was talk of like resubmitting it because now it's a, kind of a different time. And, you know, and a lot of people still like, there's some straggler hardcore fans. But then at the same time, we're kind of like, okay, a lot of people saw it. We don't know. I don't know. We haven't really thought about like, should we reopen it? But definitely since then, the company has not made another action film just because it was so heartbroken. It's interesting to hear from Jenny about censorship in Vietnam, since, you know, Hong Kong is fortunate enough to be free of government censorship. But we do hear about our collaborators and friends in China getting affected by heavy censorship. Same with China, Vietnam is also a communist country. There's a series of censorship laws and rules that protect the image of the ruling Communist Party. These include things like Ho Chi Minh, the famous leader and chairman of Communist Party, cannot be shown in films, even pictures of him. This actually goes as far as Vietnamese flags too. But it doesn't just stop here. Censorship can actually stop the entire film genres from developing in Vietnam. For censorship, like one thing is like ghosts are not allowed in Vietnamese cinema because ghosts don't exist. One thing is that you always have to make it a dream or like somebody was crazy and they imagined it. If it's an independent foreign horror film, it's fine. But there was a film that was released two years ago called The Housemaid, Koho Gai, and the ghost in the film ended up, there was a fake ghost, but there also were scenes where it was a real ghost, but they, they let it go. So, so people were just like, oh my God, like everyone, you know, within the film industry, everyone was like, what the, like we, you totally got away with having a real ghost. Like, how did that happen? While creative freedom in Vietnam is going to be an ongoing battle, for the time being, Jenny and her friends have actually set sights on challenges that they could tackle immediately. For example, the industry standards and working conditions of the Vietnamese film industry. I think that we're, we're still, one of the things where me and my colleagues are trying to um, uh, kind of uh, improve on the current system is sort of like the sense of organization and the way that film sets and productions are run. And especially, and also like sort of like paying people their creative dues. There's certain, um, you know, in a film crew, there's like hundreds of positions. There's so, there's so many things that you don't realize that, that make, that put, get into, put into making a film. That like certain things like, like a script, right? So like the script is like, it's the backbone of the project. And yet we never really have a huge budget for scripts. And there's like huge demand for script writers, like huge demand. I mean, there's like, like barely, like it's like barely any writers out there. Like it's weird. It's like, it's like, I don't know, Vietnamese writers, you know, like, and so, um, but then, you know, if you compare it to like writers in like the Hollywood industry, they get paid a lot. They get paid like almost as, as much as the producers, you know, like here they don't get paid um, as much, but it's such a long period of time. Right. So you know, and then. So there's not like just a flood of like scripts that are submitted to you, to you guys all the time? Like, um, there like are a lot Hollywood? of scripts submitted, submitted and a lot of bad ones. There's actually a lot of bad writers. <laughs> I think that it, it comes with a lot of educating the youth and the, the kind of the new generation of filmmakers coming up on every level of like producing and directing and writing and lighting and art and styling. I mean, all of it needs work. 
Everybody wants to be a director. I know that that saying is in America, but in Vietnam, it's like, I feel like it's even more. Yeah. Are they not aware of what goes in and like the history? Like, you know, I meet a lot of people that are like, I want to be actor, actress. Um, but it's not, it's not like a very deep awareness and knowledge of what came before, what was in the history, like just the overall process. And I get it's the same with like uh, being a DJ or producer or street artist or something, you know, I think they just see maybe uh, the, the surface level stuff or maybe the rewards, you know, and not like you said, like not knowing about all the steps that it takes, because to be a great director, you got to know how to do everything, right? You got to yeah. know like- At least a little least, bit. Like, yeah, at least know the process, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, but at the same time, it's not all their fault either because there's very limited access to education in terms of like improper training. And at the same time, because the film industry in Vietnam has grown so exponentially, there is a high demand. So there, so you'll see like kids that PA'd or interned on one project and then all of a sudden, because they're, okay, they're, they're sharp and they're like, you know, amicable, then suddenly they're being asked to like produce another project right away. And then they're like, uh, okay, and they just do it. Maybe some parts they'll get lucky and then some, you know, and then they skip so many steps. It can, it hurts later, you know? And then even like people that I've chosen to mentor, like I feel like they still need more time with me, but then they've already like jumped in, like already like doing their own thing. And I'm kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, they're still like better than a lot of other people, but at the same time, like, you know, I wish I had you for just a little longer. In the film industry, it's all about paying your dues. So you do so much work like free and you do so much work as an assistant for like years and you, you know, then you slowly kind of make your way, you know, but in Vietnam, the demand is so high. It's like, they're just kind of like, well, we don't have anyone else. And when I, even when I ask about it, I, ca I can't even really recommend anyone else. And it's kind of like, well, there really isn't. It's like, I'm busy and then they're busy and I can't, I don't have more people. So it's this weird thing where the filmmakers that will really like progress will be the ones that just naturally have like a thirst for knowledge and are more humble about it. Feeling like, okay, I still want to learn. Like, even for me, like, I, I guess, you know, some people would say that at the top of my game here, but at the same time, I feel like I still have so much to learn. It's like how I was talking to you guys in, about the graffiti and street art scene. It's the exact same thing. It's like you skip out on so much stuff, on history, on traditions, on culture, and then you just jump. And then, of course, when someone else who's experienced looks at it, they see what's missing from it. You know, when you see like a film that's made and you're like, okay, they took shortcuts or, oh, look, they'll get the lighting or something. You can totally tell, you know, like if, if when you're experienced. So... Yeah. Has your approach of filmmaking kind of changed because of that? Yeah, I think um, film is still growing and it's it's still like, we don't want to reinvent the wheel, but at the same time, you, you can't, you can't, completely adopt the Hollywood system here. So it's really about like working with what you have and then working and then working with locals and sort of learning from locals while they learn from you. At the same time, I want to surround myself with people who really understand that like, hey, does this work or is this not going to work? And then know your audience too, right? So when we're doing a, like a feature film, it's kind of like, okay, is this something that is for the Vietnamese audience or are we trying to make it international? But then you, you kind of run the risk of like, if you make it too international, the local market won't like it. But then do you care about that? You really have to, first of all, decide what your audience is. As someone that's coming from a mixed background who also knows both audiences, I could see that Jenny was in a very unique position to make this kind of films that would bridge different markets. But this is of course would depend on if those markets were ready. I feel like the in-between, they're not quite sure what to make of it yet. And I'm, 
But at the same time, it's still changing. Like even now, sometimes I meet some of the younger kids who are like, you know, now in their 20s and and um, it surprises me like what they're into, into and what they're interested in. And like, even when I went to that like, experimental music thing the other day, actually it was a lot of like, I would say maybe half locals and half expat, which I feel like it would be just an expat thing. Probably four years ago, five years ago would have been. But like now, like uh, I see it in every, in every, uh, industry, I guess, like fashion, music and art, like the amount of locals is like raising up. And I think that's probably because Vietnam finally has fast internet, yeah, you know? Too, so yeah, like everyone's great. like now knows what's the standard is. Vietnamese so. are getting more affluent, you know, like those Ferraris that you see hanging out, those are locals owned. That's not the expat owned, you know? So I think for me as a Vietnamese American um, and also for Dan, you know, we're both Vietnamese Americans. So we're in a very unique position where we grew up over there, but we are Vietnamese. So we're kind of like that middle bridge, not to be cliche, but very much like enjoying both. And then at the same time, trying to figure out both where if you make a product, you know, I, I wouldn't want only expats to like it. Yeah. You know? And, and just because I am Vietnamese American, for sure, it's not going to be only locals like it either. So it's kind of like trying to figure that out. And it's still like, there's no answer to it. Like, it's funny because a few years ago, we felt like, okay, we know what the film industry is like and what people like. And then there were a few projects where that didn't do well in the box office. And we're like, what? What happened? And then there were projects where like, oh yeah, that's like terrible. And then it did really well. And then we're like, wait, what? <laughs> right, you, <laughs> you never know. know right? Yeah, you, you never know. And I think that... Um, now, for me, I, I feel like PR and marketing is a huge thing. And only because, like I said, there's just so much content that people don't know what to watch, what to do, what to see. And I think that it's across the board. And so you'll see industries like branding becoming much bigger in Vietnam yeah. than before. Yeah. I would say like when I first came, there was like no branding. It was yeah, like, there's none. Then people didn't think about that. Yeah. Like, oh, how do we brand this? They're like, huh, what does that mean? Listening to Jenny and Dan talked about the creative challenges in their own city, it felt pretty close to home. Hong Kong has similarities in that we talked about, you know, framing the scene around the mixture between East and West, local and international, or expats. For creatives that's arriving from overseas, I'm always curious what their reasons is for staying in their new home, even with all these obstacles. For like a like a difficult environment like this, what makes you want to keep pushing more and getting more involved in in changing this scene? Well, on a personal level, I think because I am Vietnamese, that like, you know, doing, uh, making films in Vietnam, in the Vietnamese language for Vietnamese people, it, it just, there's a satisfaction that is very deep and it's very meaningful. And I'm not saying that like every film is, you know, an Oscar film. Definitely, we've done broad comedies, you know, but but I think that um, when I was making film in America, like on certain, not necessarily, you know, subjects that... I felt close to is very different from when making a film here and with people that I really love. And I think that the film industry in Vietnam is small enough where everybody knows each other and everybody supports each other. And I've always said that that's one of the one thing that I really love about the film industry here because it's not as competitive as other industries in the sense that Vietnamese film is lumped into one category. So like when a Vietnamese film comes out and it's good, it's a win for everybody. So when, if, if a Vietnamese film comes out and it's bad, then in general people are just like, oh, Vietnamese films suck. Whenever a Vietnamese film comes out, and especially one that is made by like a Vietnamese American filmmaker, which is like another kind of category, as you can say, then there's even more pressure than I, I'm always like, oh my God, please be good, please be good. Because if a lot of films come out and it's good, then it's great for all of us. But lately, when the boom happened, when they're, they're just jumped from like freaking 40 films a year to 60 films a year, which is in the last couple of years, there definitely a lot of films came out that are really rushed. 
made for like no money, made by people who had never directed anything, but just thinking, wow, films make so much money. So I can do it. Let's make, a, let's make some money. And that's where the motivation is coming from, not necessarily like, let's make a great film or tell a story. And so, that, and then it was like, oh, let, let's just, you know, put money out and hire this really popular actor. And then that really hurt the film industry as a whole. Because then the audience became confused of like, oh, I thought this guy made great movies, but then now that movie was so bad. And then it's just like, you know what? Vietnamese films suck again. And then like, we're going to watch, you know, a Hollywood movie or a Thai movie or... The reason why I'm in Vietnam, and I've been in Vietnam for like nine years, is that it's so unpredictable. I feel like film is still unpredictable for me, and I still feel like very inspired by Vietnam. Box office success can be very hard to predict, but more often than not, good story is the first place to start. And if it's really good, star power, production values, and marketing become less relevant. It's also very inspiring because like last year there was a film called Am Jim Atham. The English title is Jailbait. And uh, it's about a uh, 17-year-old girl, a high school senior, who basically uh, traps a 35-year-old man with a sex tape in order to get her ex-boyfriend jealous. It's a teen rom-com and it did, it broke the box office record. And, um, you know, it, it was produced by my old company. And, you know, like, it's really crazy. It was like a phenomenon. Like, we knew that it would do well. Like, when I saw the first cut, I was like, oh, my God, this is like, this is going to do well. But we didn't think that it would, like, crazy break the box office. Because before, um, we, there was sort of like a scale of, like, the highest uh, box office for Vietnamese films. And then the highest box office for Hollywood films. And there was kind of like a big gap. At the time, the, the record was like a little less than $5 million, right? And then the top three Hollywood was like Fast Furious, uh, 7, 8, and Kong, right? And Kong was like $160 billion or something, a little less than $8 million. And then MJ Matham made like $10 billion more. So, which is like crazy. Like, it's not even like it barely beat the record. Like, it smashed it. And, and it's just like this little like, you know, teen rom-com with like... And actually, even the, the cast wasn't anyone like what you would call A-list famous actress. But it was just such a great story. And it was such a charming and hilarious that people kept going watching it and it just became this like crazy phenomenon and the thing is not only in terms of numbers but what it proved was that if a Vietnamese film came out that was good and people connected to it it would do better than a Hollywood movie and so that was like the big thing that made everyone really inspired you know because I think that other some other Asian countries is still like Hollywood is top you know it's like we can never beat like what a Hollywood movie will reign in you know for us and then also like last year um, I, I don't know if it was the beginning of this year or last year maybe beginning of this year, um, Am Jim Tham won a national award in Vietnam that traditionally always goes to uh, what we call a, like a government film, like, a, you know, like a government funded film. So it was the first time that like a privately owned film was able to win the first place, which also was like, you know, a huge, That's a huge, a big deal. like point of pride. Cause even it could, you know, ah, these awards, you know, it's always a government film that wins. And the fact that they're open to like independently funded is a huge milestone, like in, on, on a national level. I finished our chat by asking Jenny one last question of what the future holds for Vietnamese cinema and what she hopes to accomplish as a producer. I think in general, I'd like to see more different types of films. You know, like um, people really pushing the envelope and like people taking risks of like doing a subject matter that may be a little uncomfortable. There's definitely projects I wanted to write and direct. And um, I, I really enjoy producing. I love producing and I'm not someone that wants to like full-time direct necessarily, but they're just specific projects that I definitely want to do. Like specifically kind of like women-centered, like strong female characters. Probably based on 
myself. Thanks for listening. If you would like to get the full Macon experience, head over to Macon.com, M-A-E-K-A-N.com. Over there, you will find photos and a few of Jenny's recommended Vietnamese movies, as well as transcript of this recording. The audio production for this story was done by myself, and the photos were shot and edited by Christopher Lim and the script by Nate Khan. The rest of the Macon team include Cherise Poon, Alec Rose, Gordon Hoy, Alex Malin, and Eugene Khan. <laughs>